We've long known that social, economic, and environmental conditions play a sizable role in health outcomes, and unfortunately, these inequalities have become even more pronounced in a time of a pandemic. So, how can we better respond to the social determinants of health and address the rapidly rising health disparities witnessed during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond? You're listening to ReachMD. This is COVID-19 on the front lines. I'm Mario Nasinovich, and here with me is Dr. Renata Scalvo, a senior lecturer on sociomedical sciences at Columbia University, founder and president of the board of directors of the Health Equity Initiative, and editor-in-chief of the Journal of Communication and Healthcare, Strategies, Media, and Engagement in Global Health. Thanks so much for joining us today, Renata. Thank you very much for having me, Mario. So let's begin by taking a closer look at COVID-19 through this lens of health equity. First, is this pandemic a health equity issue, and if so, why? As you know, Mario, pandemics do not discriminate, and everyone is susceptible to contract any kind of infectious disease, including COVID-19. Yet pandemics have a way of showing us the magnitude of health and social inequities that many people experience, which in turn affect their ability to protect themselves. Pandemics actually thrive on inequalities, since what some people may consider easy protective behavior are actually not easy for everyone. For example, hand washing is not easy for homeless people who often lack access to water and soap and can't even practice social distancing because of the overcrowded conditions in which they live if they are in a shelter. If we think of factors influencing vulnerability during a pandemic, many of these factors are pre-existing to the pandemic itself and had to do with the many social and political determinants of health that affect the ability of people to protect themselves, but more in general, to lead healthy and productive lives. So which communities or populations specifically have been disproportionately affected by this virus? Well, there are many vulnerable, marginalized, and low-income populations who have been disproportionately affected by this pandemic, as you know, Mario. In the U.S., we are seeing that the pandemic is having a bigger toll within communities of color. This is the result of lack of investment in these communities, social discrimination, racism, mouse segregation, lack of access to services and opportunities, which in many communities has resulted in poverty and higher rates of chronic diseases such as diabetes and asthma, which are all conditions that increase the risk for severe consequences of COVID-19. Also, I want to speak about children who live in poverty who may not be at the greatest risk for life-threatening consequences of contracting COVID-19, but in many cases depend on being in school for their meals and have been shortchanged by the pandemic and limited efforts, historically speaking, to address poverty alleviation. So the pandemic has shown us that we need to think of additional systems to deliver nutrition to the 20-plus million children who live in poverty in the United States, especially in communities of colors that have been marginalized and discriminated against for centuries and experienced high rates of poverty. And what are some of the barriers identified for low-income and marginalized communities during a pandemic like this? Well, a few group-specific barriers come to mind. For example, for many, the option of staying home and protecting themselves by practicing social distancing or self-isolating or others, it's not really an option because many people don't have access to paid leave or paid sick leave and need to choose between staying home and paying rent and putting food on the table. 
So I know that basically provision in the Family First Coronavirus Act is a step in the right direction, but only addresses a minimal fraction of what we need. In fact, millions of workers are left out from this provision, and these workers tend to be specifically from communities of color, so women or other low-income populations. In many cases, these are workers who are putting their lives at risk so people can stay safe and have access to basic necessities, such as food and pharmacy cashiers. We also know that many marginalized populations, such as people living with homelessness, disability, or mental illness, lack the kind of social support and resources to adopt and sustain protective behaviors. In some cases, such as for the homeless, it may be a physical resources something as simple as water and soap. But in others, maybe the lack of structural, or urban, or social resources and support to comply with recommended behaviors. Finally, we know that in some hospitals, resources such as ventilator, mask, and other protective equipment may be even scarcer. This is likely to be the case in low-income communities and communities of color because of the historical lack of investment in these communities. So this is why I've been advocating for professional associations and community leaders to come together and ultimately develop guidelines for the use of scarce resources, which should be based on needs and fairness and equity principle. Now, another important aspect of this that I'd like to bring up is the influx of inaccurate information about the virus, which itself is often labeled as an infodemic. Can you speak to that issue and how it impacts vulnerable populations in particular? This is a very important question, Mario. Yes, we are in the midst of a COVID-19 infodemic. There is a lot of misinformation out there on all the topics we have discussed and much more. Social media may not have been an issue in past epidemics, so this is our breaks, but it's definitely an issue now. This is for me particularly concerning for low health literacy population and other vulnerable population who may not have the training, tools, and resources to distinguish between evidence-based information and fake news. For example, many of them may not use social media where a lot of information access happens to circulate, but they're still speaking with people who get the information from social media. So for this, it's important to continue to strengthen this communication system by engaging community leaders as trusted sources, address the sources directly, and occupy social media with the right information. Because if we don't do it, others will occupy the media with the wrong information. For those just tuning in, this is COVID-19 on the front lines on ReachMD. I'm Mario Nastinovich, and joining me to talk about COVID-19 as a health equity issue is Dr. Renata Schiavo from Columbia University. So, Renata, now that you've given us a better understanding of the barriers faced by the at-risk populations, what actionable steps can we take to protect them during and after the COVID-19 pandemic? We mentioned before the importance of expanding paid leave provisions to protect all workers now and behind this pandemic, as well as expanding upon current systems to deliver nutrition to children who live in poverty. But an underlying principle among these and other kind of provisions, which all started with collecting 
real data, race, ethnicity, and language data that can actually give us an idea of who exactly the pandemic is impacting. We know that has a higher burden in community of colors in disadvantaged low-income communities, but the data need to be there and need to be disseminated broadly. But in addition to which, I think that the very big step is to try to think about advocating for an expanded role of government in stimulating the economy, protecting workers from low-income community who are more likely to lose their job during or after this pandemic, as well as for essential services that people need for the response now in the future. And that's the perfect segue into our discussion on community engagement and advocacy during and after this pandemic. How do we go about engaging those community leaders and local support networks in public health and get them involved in in terms of an unprecedented time like this, but also allowing them to remember that this is something that is pervasive and has happened before this pandemic and will continue to happen after this pandemic. I feel the community engagement and advocacy really key during pandemics because removing barriers to protective behaviors also is linked to community ownership of solutions for implementing such protective behaviors. So ultimately, this is linked to the sustainability of the health and social behaviors and policies and goods and services that need to be disseminated and implemented during this pandemic and beyond. So when we involve communities, it's more likely that they are going to endorse protective behavior. They are going to find local solutions to implement them, that these behaviors and recommendations reflect their values and the conditions in which they live. And ultimately, we change the system as a whole. We create community and patient ownership of solutions. So this is a very important action that has been demonstrated to be helpful also in the outbreak control and risk communication across different pandemic and epidemics from SARS, H1N1, and Ebola. Taking Ebola, just like the latest example of those pandemics, several case studies in Sierra Leone and Liberia by UNICEF showcased that the Ebola crisis started to be mitigated. Only when community got involved in becoming trusted source of information with their community members about in developing care centers, designing solutions, and much more. COVID-19 pandemic, for example, in the United States, some communities have been in Stalling temporary things for the homeless just to provide them a resource for washing their hands. But in order to channel and maximize the impact of these community efforts, we need really to connect with advocacy organizations, with research groups who work directly with these communities, have the ability to actually provide resources and training for community leaders to reach policymakers and influence policymaking. And we also need to use the great power of media, or blogs, or the internet, of all of these kind of resources to amplify the voice of community leader. So I think that community engagement and advocacy are really connected to each other and are very important during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Lastly, Renata, you've been outspoken even before this current pandemic began about the need for a paradigm shift from a disease-only based approach to one more attuned to the social determinants of health. Can you elaborate what this looks like compared to the current system and how you would change things going forward? 
as you know, Mario, this space approach tends to focus on health conditions, on medical causes, on symptoms, how we treat them, how we prevent them. And the focus primarily on the behaviors of patients and the people who can influence them. But this approach is often very oblivious So the number of barriers that people experience in having to implement these recommended behavior, whether it's protective behaviors or health behaviors in general. And this approach, therefore, has a very limited sustainability because it doesn't have a barrier-driven strategy behind recommending these healthy behaviors. So I've been advocating for a while for a social determinant approach that move toward addressing the root cause the people experience in the living and working environment to implement healthy behavior. This approach has to do with community and patient engagement because, as I mentioned before, it's important to get the endorsement, the ownership of communities and patients in every kind of change we want to make. So I feel that this approach is particularly important with current talks of reopening many economies underway. And I feel there are some important conditions to be met even before we can start contemplating this option. So we need an increased amount of funding to strengthen the public health and social infrastructure to build a strong surveillance and testing system and address the many barriers people face, whether it's pay leave or nutrition or others. If we do it right, it would be beneficial also for population and community health outcomes outside of this pandemic. I strongly believe that systems designed with pandemic in mind are likely to help with chronic disease prevention, with decreasing infant and maternal mortality, both also in the United States, with alleviating mental health issues and preventing substance misuse and suicide, just to name a few of the many issues that a system that is designed with pandemics in mind may help alleviate. This will also improve our preparedness to respond to epidemics and emerging diseases outbreak, both during this COVID-19 pandemic and in future outbreaks. This is only possible, in my opinion, if we use a health equity lens and methodically address the key social determinants of health, the key barriers people experience in protecting themselves and ultimately living a healthy and productive life. Well, with that closing comment, I'd like to thank Dr. Bernardo Schiavo for joining me to shed light on the rising magnitude of health disparities across social, economic, and environmental lines. But even more importantly, the steps we can take to protect these vulnerable and marginalized populations. Renata, it was great having you on the program today. Thank you very much for inviting me, Mario. For ReachMD, I'm Mario Nasinovich. To access this episode and others from COVID-19 on the front lines, visit ReachMD.com forward slash COVID-19, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thank you for listening.